Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to pretty much everybody. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. We're such good friends that I occasionally let Ben take control of the podcast so he can plug all of the latest publications he's been writing for. In fact, I'm gonna get I'm gonna give him this opportunity right now before he cuts me off again. You know, it makes me uncomfortable when you refer to me speaking as taking control of the podcast. <laughs> Listen, I'll take control right back. <laughs> all right, uh, you can find my work at Driving Line, at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and the September issue of Car and Driver. I've got a little thing going on in there. You should definitely grab a copy of that. I have it sitting on my kitchen table right now. It is an excellent article, and everyone should read it. And it's I easy to find. It's right at the front of the magazine. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, just open the magazine, read the, read my article, close it, put it away. That's all you need to do. I mean, that's the time commitment <laughs> that's required to support Sammy's, uh, Sammy's car and driver. Uh, in addition to plugging wherever we've recently been uh, published, we like to talk about some new cars and things that we've been driving on this podcast. Um, I'm just, I guess, covering what a podcast is like and when automotive journalists do it. Yeah, if you're listening to this from space and you're unfamiliar with how Earth works, Sammy has – this This is way back in the uh, early stages of our podcast. Sammy would in-depth describe how buttons work on websites if you wanted to subscribe to our podcast. There was a, yeah. a, a full tutorial from Sammy about <laughs> HTML and CSS and clicking on buttons and how that works yeah. on the webpage. So he's just continuing a long tradition of uh, explaining technology in audio form well you have to you have to go with what's uh, what's presented in front of you and i'll tell you not not a lot going on here I'm... you, you can't ex- <laughs> you can't assume everyone knows how the world works so i, That's I appreciate right. that but i want people to know that we've got some uh we've got some relatively new vehicles to talk about this week i mean mine is kind of a refresh but yours yours is all new it's the it's the what's it called again it's the 2023 toyota sequoia sammy the Toyota Sequoia. I've heard that name before. No, you haven't. No one's heard of the Sequoia, and I'm about to prove it. Do you know why? Do you know how many Sequoias they sold last year before they redesigned it? Uh, I think I have an idea, but I, I don't want to ruin the surprise. Come on, hit me. They sold just over 5,000 Sequoias. 5,000 Sequoias, which means that there's... How many other cars that t- does Toyota sell? This is like less than a percentage of their entire... Portfolio. I want to point out that the Sequoia is a full-size SUV that's based on the Tundra pickup. And we just got a new Tundra, so of course we're getting a new Sequoia. But the course of this conversation, Sammy, I think I'll aptly demonstrate that there was no need for a new Sequoia. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It's not like one of these things had to follow the other. Um, so it's a full-size vehicle, body on frame, in the same sense as like a Yukon, a Tahoe, or like an Expedition, right? But there's some really big differences here. And when I say big, I mean enormous. 5,000 Sequoias were sold last year, which is 21 times less than the number of Tahoe's Chevrolet sold. 16 times less than the Yukon sold by GMC. And 12 times less than Ford Expeditions going out the door. And I bet you Cadillac and Lincoln sell even more right? right like in terms of the the full-size suv format i think the grand wagoneer outsold it like seven to one which oh, is really no and that's a vehicle <laughs> that i think only sells thirty-six thousand examples a year so that's just to give you an idea of 
why you've probably never heard of the Sequoia or even seen one. And then okay. if you go to the Toyota showroom, it gets even worse. So the Sequoia is yeah. a three-row. And there's another three-row in the family at Toyota. There's actually two others now that we have uh, the Grand Highlander. But the original Highlander crossover. That's- Are you forgetting the Sienna as well? Well, the Sienna is a minivan. I don't really think it's part of this conversation. Oh, I see. It has uh, three rows, but it doesn't count. I'm sequestering it uh, for the purposes of making my point, which is <laughs> which is that last year, Toyota It's like sold... saying a Brad is really a crew cab, I guess. <laughs> well, last year, Toyota sold 222,000 Highlanders. Mm-hmm. That's 45 times. That's a lot. Yeah. 45 times the number of Sequoias. That were sold. So, so naturally, when you have such a a, a massive runaway failure in your in, in your demand in your own showroom, the smart thing to do is to completely redesign it using a truck that has proven to be aggressively lu- mid mid tier lukewarm. Yeah, <laughs> have a lukewarm response to every now, from everybody. I want to say. It's not a bad thing to sell 5,000 vehicles a year in some contexts. Like, the Miata sometimes has sold that few in some markets, right? It's not hugely popular. (laughs) I love the way you describe that. (laughs) Has sometimes sold that few in some markets. That's my lawyer speak. (laughs) Covering, like, every eventuality. (laughs) If you have, like, a high-profit, low-volume car, like, I think that... I don't know how... Like a Rolls Royce? Corvettes don't sell a ton. They're not selling 100,000 Corvettes. You know what I mean? No. But we're not talking about that. No. We're talking about a volume-oriented segment of the market. Now, the reason why these SUVs are so profitable is because they're built on pickup truck bones, which means that all of the components are already there. They just have to do different bodywork and a different cabin. It's not a huge stretch for the company in terms of development cost. So the Tahoe makes a ton of money for Chevrolet because they can sell it for more than, you know, a run. Uh, the, the base Tahoe starts at like 53,000, which is mm-hmm. more than a base Silverado, even though it's the same bits underneath for the most part. So In a box. <laughs> yeah. So I can understand like, the the nebulous idea of why Toyota makes a Sequoia because they want a piece of that too. They're like, okay, we can make some, and they sell the base Sequoia starts at like fifty eight or fifty nine or something. It's more than a Yukon, uh, so they're making a bit of money on it. But when I I want to stress the word bit of money because the the volume just isn't there, and it's never been there for this vehicle. So it's odd that it continues on like a zombie almost. Just. Uh, Toyota is, I guess, famous for selling vehicles to itself. Like, a, there's a lot of repeat buyers. They have very strong loyalty. So yeah. the only thing I can think of is that Sequoia owners want another Sequoia, which is surprising after driving the Sequoia that it would engender that kind of loyalty. But that's this, the only reason I can think of that as to why it persists. This loyalty... Um like, format reminds me of Volkswagen. I think Volkswagen is quite... Like, they always want... M- it's not they always want. It always seems like when I talk to somebody who owns a Volkswagen, they want their next car is in the Volkswagen Auto Group. Like they want another Volkswagen to go along with it, which is why I think the Atlas was such a hotly anticipated vehicle and sold so well to particular those buyers. And I don't think it had a lot of uh, conquest or or people cross shopping with a Highlander or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, so I think Toyota wants to be something similar, or it manages to do something similar. It's it's crazy too to think that. So 
you know, we were talking earlier about well, earlier just now about like low volume sports cars, right? Yeah, that was a long time ago. And it's not like there's a dominant force in that segment. It's not like there's like one car that everybody buys and then there's a whole bunch of other cars. It's not like Isn't the, it Cor- the Mustang. The Corv, I, I don't consider the Mustang to be in that segment because there's a non-sports car version of it. Okay. I, so like, and the, and the, the Mustang does volume, right? right? But I guess, you know, when you're looking at Boxsters and Corvettes and Miatas, these aren't selling huge numbers every year. So, but when you look at the, the SUVs, there are some clear dominant vehicles. Like when I say that, you know, there, there are 21 times as many Tahoes sold, that doesn't mm. include the Suburban, which is the extended wheelbase version <laughs> yes. of the Tahoe. There's another 50,000 Suburbans sold every year. So it's an insane number, right? So it's it's your Toyota sitting around a board in a boardroom looking at this and they're like, you know what? We're going to keep at it. And OK, if that was the strategy, fine. But in order to make that a real strategy, you know, you can say hope is not a strategy. You can't just build a vehicle and hope people will suddenly start liking it. You have to give people reasons to buy it. You have to either make it affordable enough to make people want to switch or make it good enough. To make people want to switch. Exactly. Those are two very popular and effective tools to get to get what we call um, conquest in the auto industry, which is when you peel someone off of another brand. But we were just talking about very powerful, very effective ways (laughs) of getting people to buy cars, making them better or cheaper. (laughs) And we were just just talking about how Toyota doesn't care to conquest from other sellers. So getting in the Sequoia. I don't know how to the, put it. It's you. You mentioned we've talked about the Tundra recently and how the yeah. Tundra is so middle of the road and almost. Everywhere. I mean, I drove an entry level model, an SR or an SR five or something like that, and I was really unimpressed. You drove, I think, a higher trim level model, no, and you came away. No, not exactly. So I drove an SR five with a TRD off road package. Oh yes, you had a TRD model, and w- found no reason for this thing to to be relevant, and given how big the pickup truck market is, right? I'm gonna, I will talk about where this vehicle falls flat and the one area where it does well. Um, which would you like me to start with? Let me hear what, what it does well. The Sequoia, let me hear what it does well. Okay, so there's two engines available with the Sequoia. Okay. Uh, there's a, they're both twin turbo V6s. One of them has a hybrid. Um, the hybrid one is surprisingly po- uh, powerful. It has, mm-hmm. I believe, 437 horsepower, which is okay, but 585 pound-feet of torque. Is that enough? That's a lot. This like tank-like vehicle to reasonable speeds in a reasonable amount of time. I think that that's more than any other vehicle in its segment, including like the the turbo diesel versions. Is it not? I'm not sure. In terms of torque, yeah, that's got to be true. I mean, 585. That's really crazy. I, 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 that's so crazy. Doesn't Doesn't the hurricane in the grand? What did we call? What did we call it? Grand Wagoneer put out a ton of horsepower. I don't know. Take a look. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing the research. I'm looking. I want to double. What check are you this. doing? I'm double checking the number. No, it's right. It's it's 583, 584, right around there. Uh, that's 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 an insane amount. You can get 510 horsepower, and I don't know how much torque to be honest. So that's a lot more horsepower. But like torque is important when you're talking about a three row SUV that's going to be towing, right? It, yep. it has a 10 speed automatic. It feels pretty quick all the time. Like it's it honestly the drivetrain is a good part of the vehicle, and not only that the the efficiency of the vehicle has gone way up. Like the previous generation Sequoia had the 5.7 V8 that was the iForce V8 that was in the Tundra as well. Um, now it iForce, gets, iForce Max. I think it was something like 17 miles per gallon combined, oh. which is not great. The new one is rated at 22, which is like a 50% improvement. <laughs> That's impressive. I mean, come on. 
Uh, sure. I, and and we're in a world now where the EcoBoost has been around for so long. I don't think anyone cares. There's even a turbocharged four-cylinder engine in the Silverado. I don't think anyone cares that there's no V8 available in the Sequoia. Honestly, I don't think anyone cares about the Sequoia, period. So, like, the fact that it has this hybrid engine, it, it's not going to matter to people who are used to having the V8. I think they're going to appreciate the huge upgrade in power. I think they're going to appreciate the even bigger upgrade in efficiency. Yeah. It is a cool engine. Okay, great. So we've got the the one of the one of the things that you wanted to talk about that was a that was a positive. What are the other positives? Hello? I'm sorry. What what did you say? <laughs> I asked, what are the other positives? That's what I you... thought you said. Yes, that's why I did not respond. <laughs> What's happening? This is a really really puzzling truck, Sammy. I don't understand who it's for. Um I want let's start with the tier. It's clearly for somebody who has many people in their family and more money. Let's let's start with the TRD package. So okay. it comes with Bilstein shocks. It's got a locking rear differential, and the suspension has been tweaked in order to, um, I guess, be stronger on the trail. You know, like you know, not crack, break, whatever when you hit some crazy rocks. But the thing is, I mean, normally TRD off road is pretty is this pretty sweet operation. You, you're going to get decent gear, and all of that gear is useful. But my truck came with oh. Um, a what is it like the air dam at the front underneath the bumper hung so low that when i drove over speed bumps in my my city the, it scraped all the oh time oh my god really and the air the air dams in toyotas have been criticized a lot recently if you saw the new tacoma um redesign it also has models with this huge air dam so that has to be for aero and fuel efficiency that's why that's there right uh probably cooling as well it usually kicks air up onto the radiator but the other problem i had with this this off-road package is it had these side steps that hung down super low as well this is Mm. all gear that's going to get torn off as soon as you take it on the trail i don't understand why it would be included on a supposed off-road model what trail is big enough to make the grand canyon (laughs) I mean, that's a good point. There's another issue with the vehicle that is not really tied to the off-road package, but it could be seen as a bonus. The Sequoia has a solid rear axle now. It it used to have an independent rear suspension. That's really interesting. I thought thought one of the biggest upgrades to the other full-size trucks was the use of an independent rear axle. What do you mean other trucks? I think the Escalade. Oh yeah, you're talking about like the GM trucks. I thought you meant that the Tundra had that kind of Yeah, thing. no, the the GM trucks were like really happy that they made the move to um rear, uh, independent rear suspension, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean GM has the the MagnaRide technology yeah. which is really good and honestly, I I never really found the older models to be lacking in terms of handling because of that. But, uh yeah. But the the Toyota doesn't have that. The Toyota is, is a pretty, you know, especially not the off-road TRD model that I drove. So you're going from a kind of a handling-focused setup to a more strength-focused setup. The solid rear axle, the only real advantage you have is that it's a lot harder to break one. So from a pure off-roading play perspective, that makes sense. But nowhere else does it really make sense. It kind of feels like the Sequoia is getting a little less competitive. And when you combine that axle with the suspension that it has for the off-road, when you're on the street, there's a lot of lean uh, the vehicle's not responsive whatsoever to steering inputs, uh, probably also related to the tires that are on it. It just kind of felt disconnected in, in a way that, that surprised me from a uh, a vehicle that is not a hard car off-roader, question mark, but kind mm-hmm. of is at the same time. I don't know. So that was a little weird. Okay, okay. So now we've got this 
we got this out of the way. What's going on here? Like, where where does it really fall flat for you? Because you said you don't know who this is for. We've just discussed, you know, the engine is okay, or is is it's upside, and nothing else really kind of goes its way. The yeah. ride isn't there. So the, the the ride isn't there. The interior is functional. Um, the it better age, be functional. How expensive is this thing? This, I, like I mentioned, I believe it starts around fifty-eight or fifty-nine. Uh, it's a few thousand dollars more than a Yukon, or sorry, than a comparable Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, the wow. but the interior is also it's it's pretty comp- uh, so yeah it started just under sixty thousand but there's another five grand because I had the the TRD off road and four wheel drive so mm-hmm. so sixty five thousand dollars it's a little bit more expensive than base vehicles across the board. The only base vehicle in its class that's nicer inside is probably the Yukon because it has a larger screen on the center stack and just a little bit better materials. But like all of the competitors have a more usable interior once you get past the front row. So the second mm. row of seating, it doesn't slide back and forth. It's oh. very it's very flat. You have good. How do you even, and then how do you get into the rear seats? They fold. It, it, they just it tumbles, don't slide. It folds and yeah. tumbles. It's very easy to get in the back, okay. but you don't want to be there because the hybrid model that I drove has a bump where the battery is. It pushes up the seats and it makes it. You can slide those seats forward and backwards, but combining the bump with the fact that the row in front of it doesn't move um, and the roof line coming down because the seats are pushed up by the bump it's a tight spot to be in like you would not as an adult you would not want to spend a lot of time there when you go behind that seat because of the battery bump there's like a three-tiered level of cargo there's like 11 cubic feet when you have all all three rows occupied by people which is really nothing (laughs) that's like less than i think like a mid-sized sedan's trunk and it's all vertical space so good luck filling that up um, if you fold okay. those seats forward, you get a two-tiered system now where you have like this kind of a weird half-load floor. Then you have the dip where the the original cargo area is. And then you have a higher area where the seats are. Okay. Seat and then Toyota's solution to this is they have this kind of cargo cover in the back that's very small. But it serves to extend the cargo area towards the hatch. So like it covers when you have three people – sorry – when you have people in the third row, it covers your cargo. When you have okay. the third row folded, it extends the cargo floor, sort of, and gives you like a two-tiered thing. But you okay. can move it up and down. It's super confusing and unnecessary. And like I, I carried a bunch of stuff. Um, we were cleaning out a storage locker. And I had all these luggage that I needed to move. And like I had to stack it on all these different levels. And it kept moving around in the back. And all I kept thinking is like no other truck makes me do this like the land rover defender is the only other one i remember that has such an inconvenient stack for the the rear folding seats and it's like everyone else in this segment can figure out how to do this and toyota can't and that's not impressive yeah i agree um what you talked about the, the materials and the and the design of the interior the feel of it i mean is this a like is this comp- this is just not competitive that's my that's my feel that i'm getting and it's not; it's less than competitive. It's just not popular. Um, there's no reason to buy it. Like we mentioned, there's no. It's not cheaper than the alternatives, is it? No, it's not. It's it's a little bit more expensive. It's a tiny bit more fuel efficient, maybe. It's it, it might be. Um, you can get a diesel from a lot of the competitors. That's right. Yeah, at least three of them, and that's going to be fairly close in terms of fuel efficiency. But of course, you're also paying more for diesel fuel these days, so it might. Kind you're not. Of- you're definitely not getting a bigger, a better ride. You're not getting more space. You're not getting um, a nicer cabin. 
Yeah. What, what are you paying for, right? There's there's really nothing here that says I need to buy this over a Yukon or Expedition. You know, like I'm this, worried about I'm worried about Toyota's game plan. It's th- this game plan. This vehicle really only exists, as we pointed out, to sell to existing customers. That's that's it. I mean, it must be a certain. They know they can sell a certain number a year. Um, and they know the profit they're going to generate from that. And they've decided that's worth whatever line space they have available for assembly. I will note that this year, because it's a redesign, they've already hit 9,000 examples sold, which is okay. twice what they sold last year. But I would be very surprised if they go past 15,000. And even at 15,000, like that's not impressive for the segment. And can they carry that over into the next year, right? When everyone who wants a new Sequoia has one, what mm-hmm. happens? Agreed. Um, and I, like I said, I'm I'm really... I really don't know what Toyota is doing with its truck strategy. Um, I'm sure our listeners might have heard that they've that they've announced a new Land Cruiser or in other markets the Land Cruiser Prado. Yeah, and um, you know they still sell the Forerunner as well. I don't know. I really don't know what's going on. I don't know what what this the the, the that sorry that Land Cruiser feels like a a Sequoia a, a Sequoia effort on a on a Tacoma. It's is it uh, it's a Tacoma platform? I think so. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I that's to me. It's that's what I'm looking at. It looks kind of. It actually looks fairly sharp. But I don't know what they're doing. They're, they, like, is this again another opportunity where they there are there are some chance some there are some reasons to believe that this is supposed to go against the Bronco and Wrangler, um, and then there's other reasons to believe that this is just a a two row um, body on frame SUV like the like the Sequoia. Well, the, the well the Sequoia is a three row. I know, like in the in a, in the like in a shorter Sequoia. The weird thing to me about the Sequoia positioning in the Toyota showroom is like you have this Highlander, right, and it's super popular, and then super popular. You have like the idea that okay, maybe people can actually outgrow the Highlander, and like that seems unlikely, but maybe. So what does Toyota do? They don't make the Sequoia better; they make a grand Highlander, which and is so- just good enough. My experience said it's just good enough because I think they need to have. Um, a space for a Lexus version to come in. What yeah, is that one TX, called? The TX, right? Which the is TX? Lex- yeah. yeah. So you have this. So now, if you if you're too if you've outgrown a Highlander, you're not going to look at a Sequoia. You're going to buy a Grand Highlander, almost guaranteed. And they have made the Sequoia better than it used to be, but they haven't made it better than its peers. And I think that's the problem. I don't think this is a compelling reason to buy it for that reason. For, for mm-hmm. you know, unless you're absolutely obsessed with the Sequoia and you're buying your second or third one, it's really. You, you got to pass this up, and and you know there's lots of versions of this too, right? Like I drove the base model, and yeah. there's a the t- there's a TRD Pro version, which is like more hardcore off road. It is eighteen thousand dollars more. What are these off road situations that automakers have invented that fit the size of the Sequoia, the Hummer EV? Like all of these massive trucks, yeah. where are people? Are people on the moon already? That's that what I it's like. Is you're like on an alien planet with no topography. <laughs> And you're just blasting. The the other thing I want to point out for our Canadian listeners, the 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 Sequoia starts. So in Canada, there's the trim level. Um, TRD off road is its own trim level. They don't have SR5. So like that's the base version of the truck, and it's seventy nine thousand dollars. And like wow. I struggle to understand. That's you know okay sixty thousand US. Maybe I could kind of see a case for that. Seventy nine for a starter truck. It's the same amount of equipment. That that boggles my mind. I really don't see the value there. 
I really I, wish you didn't include Canadian content because I now think that we're going to get uh, banned from Facebook. If well, we, now that if you've said the words Facebook, that we're definitely yeah. going to get banned from Facebook. <laughs> That's really um, unfortunate. But can I use this as an opportunity to talk about the car that I'm driving? Yes, like, but I just want to clarify for our American listeners. What Sammy's talking about is this new Canadian law that is related to news being posted on social networks requiring payment from the social networks or the search engines. And if your media... Um, what Meta and Google and all these people decided to do is just delist it. Like they're not allowed yeah. to. So like sometimes I'm on Facebook and I see a news story and it just says, this news story is not available due to your location. And I'm like, all right. So it's like move or get a VPN. So yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, let me, let me talk to you about a car that um, I've had, um, you know, ups and downs with, and that's the, that's the Ford Focus. Uh, not Focus, the Ford Escape. Wow, I really botched the intro on that. When's the last time you drove a Focus, out of curiosity? I love the Focus. The Focus was always a beautiful when's, car. When's the last man. time, though? Um, it's got to be 2016, 15, maybe? Me, it was the last one I drove was the... Uh, the RS? Yeah, the RS. So when was that? 18? Like, was it 18? It might have been. 17? 17 or 18, so that sounds right. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that was it, too. Um... But but speaking of the Focus, I mean, when the Focus and Ford decided to um, kind of unify a lot of their products across the, the globe, the Escape me- became a significantly better car back then. And I'm thinking this is like uh, mid-2010s, around there. And um, I think we have a lot of um, – we should give a lot of credit to Ford for improving the Focus to a certain degree. They even went further with the latest re- the, the re- latest generation of the of the escape. And I was eager to say that this is easily as good as, let's say, um, a Honda CRV or a Rav4 and maybe even a Mazda CX5. I thought it was that good when it when it debuted um, just a few years ago. But since then, I think Ford has taken a really hard turn and have decided that maybe the escape is not their their compact crossover um, halo vehicle, I guess, and have pivoted towards the Bronco Sport, which is now being paraded and upgraded and has a ton of trim levels um, and special editions every single year, which are designed, I guess, to catch the consumer's eye. It's tough, right? Like, if you're Ford, what do you do? Because you have these two very good, you know... They're very closely related, too, right? Like, there's there's not a lot separating them. They're super similar. And then you're in this situation where you have to convince a buyer to buy one or the other, and you can't really trash talk the other one, right? Yeah. You have to you have to point out that they're both pretty good. And then people are like, well, I guess the, the main differentiator would be styling, and one looks more hardcore off-road and one looks more kind of urban. Mm-hmm. Um, and you let them make the choice that way. But with the way the market is tilting so far towards off-roading and overlanding and all that stuff, like it really feels like the escapes can kind of left, left out in the cold. There is one more differentiating factor between the two, and that's hybridization or electrification. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good and, point. And um, I will also point out that when I drove the 2023 Ford Escape last week, a lot of people were surprised at how redesigned it was. This was recently refreshed. I think the announcement came really late last year and nobody has seen it till now. And it is a pretty thorough redesign. It it looks different. Even my higher trim model had a light bar that goes across the hood, which was, uh, or across the grill, which was really um, eye-catching. And the model I drove in particular was the plug-in hybrid version, which is a mixed bag of of success. I think um, there are a couple of things I liked, just like when you were talking about the Sequoia, a couple of things that I liked um, 
really like I really liked about it. And then there's a lot that I really wouldn't recommend. So again, I'm going to give you the choice to tell me what you want to hear. First. I want to hear the bad stuff first. And, and then I want to hear if it outweighs the good stuff. The bad stuff is that this was a little bit buggy. Um, I had, I think I told you this, or maybe I sent you a video. I have a video of it. This car's wipers would go off all the time. Uh, when the car was off, I was having like uh, I was I was having a coffee on a patio, um, and the wipers are just going on and off, and I was like, the car is. You think it's like a theft deterrent? Or I went shopping. Bananas is in this car. Like I don't. I better not steal it, or it's going to drive me right to the police station. I uh, I also went shopping, and I came back, and the wipers were still running, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Sammy, I, I need to ask you a question. Yeah. Did you actually turn the car off? Yes, I for sure turned it off. Are you I certain? Was, I mean, I'm certain. I'm absolutely certain. Okay. I mean, is that worth a, a, a an issue to describe, like saying that you never knew when the car was turned off? Um, I, I mean, remember when I had that BMW, the, yes. and, I did it, and it kept turning it on with like the by accident with, yes, with yes. the remote because they didn't understand how the remote starter worked because apparently I am a twelve year old. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a legitimate question. Okay. Um, the other things I, I was confused about is that the Escape doesn't have a cargo cover, which okay. I thought was strange. It um, also does not have fold-flat rear seats. They also slide forward and backwards, but when you do so, you get that weird gap between where the end of the seat is and uh, and the end of the cargo. Yeah, so seat, you would seat gap. No one likes that. hate it. Garbage. Um, and those were my main concerns. Additionally, as the plug-in hybrid, you might want to be in more control of your of the powertrain. So you might want to change it from using only the EV during this drive or save the EV for later or use the, the gas motor to charge up the EV battery. Um, I toggled through all these different modes and it seemed like the... The save EV button just did not work sometimes. It still knocked off, like, let's say about 10 miles off of my off of my range, even no, though I put it on. And I'm like, what? I'm driving this and watching my my the the battery range dropping, and I was like, what's what's happening here? I don't like this. So but but that should feed into what um I do think is worth talking about is that this is a very reasonable um plug-in hybrid. Um, vehicle it works pretty well it offers i think the official range is 37 miles of range which is actually pretty good when you consider it only has an 11.2 kilowatt hour battery yeah um and i got that uh, i got that range pretty consistently i was very happy with that range um and it charges fairly fairly quickly um so i was happy with that as well um and the the performance isn't bad either. At 221 horsepower, you could uh, you could have fooled me and said it was 240 or 250, like some of its competitors, the Tucson um, plug-in hybrid or the or the uh, Sportage plug-in hybrid or the Outlander plug-in hybrid. Do you think it's I lighter think, than those vehicles? Maybe I think it is. It's just under 4,000 pounds, so I think that's a really big difference. Um, and I was I was pre- pleasantly happy with the way that it it. it accelerated the range and how it drove i thought that was pretty good so based on what you've just said it kind of feels like you had a lot of like minor problems and inconveniences that kind of added up and made the overall experience negative but on the whole the vehicle is a good one and if ford focused more on the escape so to speak they would be able to smooth out those problems and have a more competitive vehicle across the board yes and no i will admit as well um 
it was it was a rattle it was a rattle box man this thing squeaked and rattled through my whole week i couldn't figure out what it was um just stuff making way too much noise and when you've got an ev you hear that stuff um a little bit more presently and then worse of all i think they they're not doing people when you see when you hear the terms Ford Escape titanium plug-in hybrid, actually it's not even called a titanium plug-in hybrid. It's just called the 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 PHEV. Okay. That's all it's called. It's the most expensive version of the of the Escape. Would you be wouldn't you expect it to have all-wheel drive? I would think so. I don't know if I would expect it. Uh, these days I'm not sure, but depending on the price, I think I would want it. Like how much does this cost? The model I drove, it starts at, let me get the exact starting price is Forty thousand five hundred before um, um, destination charge. Which I think is at forty thousand dollars in an SUV, especially a compact SUV, yeah, I would want it to have all-wheel drive. Does not have all-wheel drive and is not even offered. Okay, so on the plug-in hybrid, let's so on the regular hybrid. It's available though, right? Yes. Okay, so for and the, every one of its competitors has all-wheel drive. That is definitely a problem. That is, Isn't I think, it? I think it makes. I, I will go so far as to say, I think that makes it a non-starter for a lot of buyers. A lot of buyers would not even look at this thing. So obviously that's why they keep it hidden, right? They don't mention it. It's not called the PHEV front wheel drive. But it's not like they could like, it's not like there's nothing they could do about it. Do you think the battery interfere? the larger battery interferes with the electric motor for the rear It's not even that big of a battery. No, I know. But just in terms of design, like that could be the only reason I get, I'm trying to think of a practical reason why they would cripple their own Electric motors are tiny. I mean, almost all. Okay. Okay. Mr. I know what electric motor sizes are. All right. (laughs) Almost all of its competitors um, offer um, uh, all wheel drive either through um, the gas motor, the transaxle there, or an electric gear, an electric, engine as well i think the outlander features a bigger battery and um two electric motors so what's the deal here and i think the same thing could be said about the rav4 prime i'm and you're not getting a significant bump in terms of usable range because the rav4 prime gets uh 42 miles which is more range but now we know why it's why it weighs less semi yeah it, it's not running front wheel drive and i mean not running all wheel drive and it's got a smaller battery. yeah exactly um, but that hasn't made a significant impact. It only gets about five more miles than the Tucson plug-in hybrid. And and what was the other one that I was going to talk about? The, the Mitsubishi? The Mitsubishi can do... I should have this. Serious question. 38 miles. So it does one mile worse than the Mitsubishi. Do you think there's serious um, competition between phev range among brands do you think they care or do you think just having it available and within a certain uh a certain range in a general range is is enough like if do you think they say Hmm. okay as long as it's more than 33 miles we're good or do you think they're like i want to beat these people i want to make it 40 miles well i mean the the rav4 prime has that 40 mile number the Outlander isn't far off with 38. I think they try. I really do think they, okay. they go for it. I'm curious. I don't have an opinion either way. I'm just, I don't know how they look at it. Like, I think the other discussion worth, worth bringing up is what the range is like when the, when the um, battery is depleted. Because if you've driven the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, it like really plummets. It's, it's like useless. The, the, the mile like is 26 miles per gallon when you're running only on the gas. Well, model. like with the Wrangler too, the, the Wrangler plug-in, we, it's the least efficient. Wrangler when the yeah. battery is dead because it's also 800 pounds heavier 
than the other Wrangler. So you can get like the two liter turbo Wrangler and it's, it's got good power and it's more efficient. And then even like the base V6, which is not a very efficient motor. It's a good motor, but it's not very efficient. That, that is beating the, um, the, the plug-in hybrid for that reason. Yeah. So this one is actually quite good. It gets around uh, 40 miles per gallon. I think I did a little bit better. Over the course of my testing of about 500 miles, I got uh, th- 65 miles per gallon total, like combined. And I did a little bit over 50, maybe 60% of my driving was on the electric um, battery. And that's great. If you live in the city and you can plug in regularly, Yeah. plug-in hybrids make a lot of sense. Because- or you have a place, you have a garage to plug in. Yeah, let- and uh, on the weekends, you don't have to worry about being stranded somewhere. Uh, for everyone else, if you have a long commute, then a plug-in hybrid is probably not a good choice. Like it's not not really that kind of vehicle. It's 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 very specific. I like them, but it's a very specific use case. I keep thinking that they're more and more um, useful because I do a lot of small trips around town, um, and I don't do the like the long road trip thing. But it's available for you with a plug-in hybrid in a way that an e- it wouldn't be with an EV. But I mean, like convenience wise, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm just not super impressed with a forty thousand um, dollar EV. It is um, a bit more affordable than the competition, but not enough so that I wouldn't recommend a Rav Four Prime if you get your hands on it. Yeah, good luck. Or a or a Tucson PHEV or a Sportage PHEV. Yeah, really tough to get that Rav Four plug in. Yeah. Lots of inventory issues because uh, it's just so popular. Um. So. Uh, moving on to uh, moving on from the escape, there's uh, we we were talking a little while ago about annoying features in vehicles that kind of like make you crazy over time, and we had uh, one of our listeners, uh, Kobe, wrote in to say that they had a problem and they have a 2022 Chevrolet Equinox. And this feature that gets progressively more frustrating until you're fed up for them is Apple CarPlay. It's specifically the volume on the Apple CarPlay is set at zero on startup every single time. And mm. they have checked menus on the car. They've checked online forums. There's no way to fix that. So imagine getting into a car, your phone connects and it starts playing a podcast and you can't hear it, but it's playing. So you're missing that it's happening. And that is extremely irritating. And I want to say that um, he, they're saying that there's been many times that they've had the podcast going for their whole drive and didn't realize like that it was going. So they didn't know where they left off. Like they had to keep going back. That's so frustrating. It's the worst. And so I've had this problem because um, I haven't had a vehicle where it was set to zero, but I've had it where it was set much quieter than any other part of it. So you have this weird situation where when you get in the car, it like defaults to the radio and the radio is blasting super loud because that's where you left the volume when you got out listening to like Android Auto or whatever. And then you're subjected to like radio blasting for 30 seconds while it tries to connect and then it connects you to um, your your media. But in the meantime, if you turn it down, when it connects to your media, your media is so quiet, you can't even hear it. It's the same situation. So this is like a universal issue. I feel as though automakers don't have their levels set all that well when it comes to moving from one source to another. It's kind of maybe an afterthought for a head deck or an infotainment system. I also have found that some auto, some cars or the infotainment systems or the Android autos will use the volume setting of your phone um, in some way or another. So you have to raise the volume on your phone to there the are maximum some that level. Do, that. There's some do you know what I'm talking about? There's, that I, think that's a, I think that's a Bluetooth thing. So like, yeah. If you're if you're connected via Bluetooth, that happens a lot. I think a lot of the Android Auto connections over Wi-Fi are are much 
Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily look at the phone settings. But either way, these connections are, like, divorced from what the radio is set to. Yeah, it's so frustrating. I don't understand some of these things. And I've had the other way around where it's, like, the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you turn into the car and before Android Auto or, or Apple CarPlay or your Bluetooth connection kicks on, the the terrestrial radio or the satellite radio is just blasting some yeah. insanely ungodly volume That's what at I was you. just saying. Yeah, it's the same deal. It's super <laughs> annoying. Or you could have like the Alfa Romeo Estrema I had a couple of weeks ago where it just like takes five minutes to connect and you don't know what's going on. And you're yeah. waiting. And you're waiting and you're waiting and all of a sudden, bam, you're interrupted. Whatever you're doing is interrupted by the fact that now you're listening to Android Auto. So you better be happy and you better not disconnect it because it might not connect again. That's right. I think you're I mean, we should tease next week's episode because I think you're having a similar issue Android Auto wise with your with your vehicle. So so next week, I'm going to be talking about the Mazda CX-90, which is an all new vehicle that I was really excited to drive. And I'm less excited about it now that I've spent a couple days behind the wheel. So I have lots to talk about uh, in next week's episode. Sam, what are you going to be driving? I've got similar infotainment stories to give you about the Volvo XC40 Recharge I'm driving, uh, which is uh, they that there's all sorts to talk about. With that's that thing. Google Automotive OS to the uh, rescue. Yeah, sure. Um, if you enjoyed this week's um, podcast, and why wouldn't you? We talked about everything. Well, we just talked. If about you're them. a big Sequoia fan, you might be disappointed. But... Yes. Um, you should probably subscribe to the podcast. The easiest way to do that is to go to your favorite podcatcher uh, or podcast client and search for us on Named Automotive Podcast. Those are three distinctly different words. You write them out in a search bar, um, and hopefully you find us there. Are you, you explaining technology again? <laughs> um, Time for go to dive on internet search. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, you can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That's all one word. Um, and you can subscribe to us right there. While you're over at our website, you can see previous episodes. We don't put that behind any sort of like uh, paywall or anything like that. You, you can just download that, you say that your like favorite. Like maybe one day we will. <laughs> maybe one day we will when our host decides that we have got way too many episodes. Um so you can see all of our previous episodes and maybe some photos of the cars that we've been driving. And um, additionally, while you're over at our website, you can hit the contact button and you can fill out a little form that sends some some email that we don't throw out to our inbox. And we read it just like uh, just like we did about these annoying features here. Or you can you can find us on social media. Please I'm don't. On, don't, I'm on, don't reach into us on social media. No, anymore. I'm into it. I'm on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Love hearing from people. It's a lot of fun. And Sammy is... I mean, not really on Twitter anymore, but you could try him at Sammy underscore hot like you're laughing. I'm lurking. I don't publicly comment. I, I, I look at Twitter, I roll my eyes, and I close it. So if you want to give me something nice to look at, uh, that's that's on Twitter. Or X or whatever it's called. No idea what it's called. Straight up no idea. So yeah, we tease next week's episode. I can't wait to talk to you about this Volvo. Ben, you've got this Mazda that everyone wants to know about. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.